Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. First, I won't forget, but before, lest I forget, a very special shout out to all veterans of the armed service services this is veterans day thank you for all you do special acknowledgement to my many friends who served in the military in particular my golfing buddy mike who did two terms of duty two tours of duty in vietnam and uh, my dear friend glenn who was also in vietnam uh, behind the lines just behind the lines so um Thank you for all the work you do. I mean, this is, of course, on, on, on Veterans Day, we, we acknowledge it's different than Memorial Day because on Memorial Day, we acknowledge also veterans who, who have passed away. Um, but uh, it, it's, it's a time to, I think, remember and say thank you again, as is Memorial Day. I always also think about my dad who passed away a number of years ago, but he was in the Marines. He was a drill sergeant in the Marines after uh, right after the Korean conflict. And my dear friend and longtime golfing pal, Jim, who passed away a few years back, he was a medic in World War II, D-Day plus three, you know, worked his way through Europe. So I think about all of those people and I'm so glad to have them all a part of my life. Okay. We have a show today that is going to be controversial in, in many different respects. If you want to get a head start on it, I invite you to go to Twitter. If you follow me, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. Um, a little bit later on in the show, we're going to be talking about Tony Evers's very, very strange speech um, last night where he essentially just kind of says he's issuing a new order, but it's really not an order because he doesn't have the authority to order anything, but he's asking us to stay home. We're going to talk about that. In addition, there's a piece in the Wall Street Journal that, that raises a number of interesting issues, and I understand this is going to be controversial, but uh, the headline on the story is, Case for Mask Mandate Rests on Bad Data. And and you you got to read this. It, it's not a piece that argues that you, you shouldn't wear masks. It's a piece that suggests, though, that a lot more people are wearing masks than some of these researchers believe. And if it's true that compliance with these mask rules is a lot greater. Now, I understand there's this attitude out there that, oh, there's there's just, you know, we've got this huge amount of the population that's not wearing masks, and they're the ones that are being irresponsible, and they're they're spreading this. Um, this study cha- challenges that and suggests that there's maybe a lot more people wearing masks than we think, which raises the question of do you need mask mandates? And also, if 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 instead of 40% of people wearing masks, if it's really 75% of the people that are wearing masks, does that tell you that maybe the problem of COVID isn't necessarily solved by people wearing masks? Anyways, we're going to discuss that in a little bit. But we start off with a story out of the Appleton area. And, and let me give you the um, the PG-13 related warning to begin with. Uh the, the language that was used is, well, there's a lot of stuff that was said in connection with this that I cannot repeat on the air. If you want to see exactly what was said, or at least allegedly was said, again, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. I've got a link to the story, and I've got a link to the criminal complaints that go into 
greater detail and specificity about what the two guys did and are charged with. And again, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 if you want to see this. Okay, here's the deal. Journal Sentinel has the story actually out of the Appleton Post Crescent. Two men who helped lead summer protests in Appleton against police brutality are charged with threatening officers at the rallies. All right, so you got these two guys, one of whom is, his name is Justin L. Waters, date of birth, uh, November of 1997. So, you know, he's coming up on, what, 23. And the other one is somebody named Ravel Wright, date of birth, uh, May of 1999. So he's, you know, 21. All right, so these are two people who were involved in some of the protests up in the Appleton area um, in May, late May. Um, this is, of course, after the whole George Floyd thing, you know, breaks out. They've been charged. They are awaiting, you know, court proceedings. But their case has kind of become a cause, cause celeb among some people. According to the story in the Appleton Post-Crescent, um, the charges against these two are, quote, an example of white supremacy in action. According to Kathy Flores, the anti-violence program director with something called the Diverse and Resilient and the City of Appleton's formerly Diversity and Inclusion Coordinator. All right. So white supremacy in action. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to share with you some of the details of the criminal complaint. Trust me, I can't read them all to you because, well, then my bosses would come in and say, have you lost your mind, Jeff? What are you doing? You can't say these things over the airwaves. So the question becomes, is it okay to say these things to police officers? I will share. We will discuss. If you want to head start again, follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. I've got a link to the story and the criminal complaints. White supremacy in action. We'll see. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, I was rereading the criminal complaints during the break thinking, okay, I got to take this a little slower than normal because I, 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 you, there's a lot of stuff in here that you cannot, uh, you cannot repeat on the air. All right, so here's the first deal. This is up in Appleton. First defendant, the guy's name is Ravel Wright. He is charged with threatening a law enforcement officer. Here's the deal, the charges against him. May 31st. Appleton Police Department officers providing security for a large protest that was occurring near the Houdini Plaza on College Avenue in Appleton. The defendant, these are allegations, right? The defendant grabs a microphone and begins to address the crowd. He says, blank the police, but he doesn't say blank the police. He says he has his CCW permit and stated, I've got it to kill the same people killing up killing us. He further goes on to say, I promise you I'm not going down with a fight. The defendant then goes up to other police officers and said, you're a blank. I'm talking about your kids, too. He goes up to an officer and says, well, suck this. And then he's very specific, like your mother would. He said, I'm a real gang member. You are a, I can't say this word, he could be heard stating to officers, blank you and suck this, but he's being very graphic. He said he then, according to the complaint, he goes up to 
Lieutenant Jack Tauschner, who was the patrol supervisor at the time. He goes up to the officers and says, I will hunt you and your families down for what you did to my people. I'm worse than Malcolm X. I will burn it all down from top to bottom. Then he goes up to other officers and said, all of you blanks are blank. Um, other obscenities. At the time, the defendant's fists were bald and his stance was aggressive. As he says, I'm going to hunt you down. I'm going to kill the same people killing us. All right. And for that, he was charged with disorderly conduct and making a threat to a law enforcement officer. All right. The scene switches to Justin L. Waters. All right. This happens on Saturday, June 6th in Appleton. Again, these are the allegations in the complaint. All right, June 6th, officers from the Appleton Police Department, they're um, in the city of Appleton. They're there to provide security for a protest that was taking place. Officer Jenkins, that's one of the officers there, was seated in his squad car at that location when he was surrounded by a large group of protesters. Officer Jenkins was trapped in the car by protesters. Justin Waters was standing by the driver's side window of the squad car. The incident was filmed on Officer Jenkins' body camera. Okay, so police officer is there. His squad car is surrounded. He's uh, trapped inside the vehicle, but he's got his, his body camera going. All right, several of the protesters began to yell and raise their middle fingers to Officer Jenkins. Waters, that's the defendant, made active threats to injure Officer Jenkins. While standing in a crowd of protesters, the driver's side window closest to Officer Jenkins, Waters repeatedly yelled to Jenkins, get out of the car, what are you scared of? While the crowd was chanting George Floyd, Waters demanded that Officer Jenkins chant George Floyd. Waters then stated, we will flip the car over. This is the, the police officers trapped in the squad car. He then stated, you think we won't? Um, and then cursed at him. Waters then bent down as if to try to start to flip the car over. And when others did not join in, he withdrew. Waters then taunted the officer to get out of the car. He stated, why you scared? You got a gun. Waters grabbed a megaphone from one of the other protests and chanted, your mama raised a pig and your mama raised, and I can't say that word on the air. Based on the video evidence, Waters seemed to be antagonizing Officer Jenkins and goading him into a physical confrontation. During the confrontation, Officer Jenkins' squad car was vandalized by spray paint. Uh, during the incident, the officer radioed for assistance. The parties discussed whether an extraction was necessary. The protesters and the defendant moved on before they needed to come and physically get the officer out. As to count three, May 31st, 2020. Again, police respond to a, um, a disturbance at the Houdini Plaza. This is the one that the other guy got charged with. Um, most of the residents were protesting in a peaceful manner. Several protesters approached the officers, called them vile names, and threatened them. Officer Cole Kantner was among the officers who was providing security. He was approached by the defendant, Justin Waters. This is the same guy from a week earlier with the squad car. The officer and the defendant were uh, surrounded by a large group of protesters. The defendant turned to the crowd and yelled, 
He told my little biracial sister she was going to be the next George Floyd. This caused angry looks from many of the protesters, and several of them moved closer to Officer Kantner. Waters appeared to be intentionally agitating the crowd. He then stated to Officer Kantner, Take off that badge, and I'll knock your blanking head right even further back. He stated then, When you get hit here, you're going to get something broken. He stated, every time I look at you, I want to knock, and again, I can't say this on the radio, you out. While saying that, he leaned forward in his stance, clenched his teeth, balled his fists, and nearly touched Officer Kantner. Waters stated, take that badge off. I'm going to break your blanking face, except he didn't say blanking. Officer Kantner said nothing to respond to Waters. Waters then said, um, You tell Aisha again that she's going to be the next George Floyd and you're going to be right here hung by your blanking neck. That's a promise. Um, So you get get the idea. So you have these two guys who are doing what they are alleged to have done. Now, again, these are just allegations. But assuming for the sake of argument that they did what they did and they are captured on the body cameras doing this, the question becomes... Should authorities have, have charged them? And like I say, um, there are some people out there who view this as, well, white supremacy in action. This Kathy Flores with this group says, these are young men. They may not be the most sophisticated protesters out there. They're learning. They have a long way to go. But this essentially shuts them down. This essentially shuts them down. I don't even know what the hell that means. This essentially shuts them down. Okay, let's open up the phone lines. 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Both of these losers have been charged with disorderly conduct and with making threats to law enforcement officers. I have no problem with this at all. White, black, brown, doesn't matter to me. You do this as to police officers. You try to provoke them in this fashion. Yeah, you make threats to police officers. And you know what? I think that you deserve to have consequences. So are you outraged that these two guys have been charged with crimes? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Sorry, No sympathy for these two losers. And and yes, there are lines you cross. And yes, threatening to hurt other people and attack other people. Sorry, that's not free speech. Jeff, at some point in time, there needs to be an example set for guys like this. They need to be hauled to jail, key thrown away. Maybe others will learn from it. Um, Yes, Jeff, there should be a mandatory six months in jail for people like this. No ifs, ands, or buts. Jeff, curse at the cops all you want. Lord knows I've seen more than a few cops curse at people as well. But once you make a threat, you should be arrested. All right, uh, let's see. Jeff, these two, unfortunately, will probably file a lawsuit against the city and maybe get some money. Jeff, I was at the June 6th protest in Appleton. I remember this guy you're talking about. He was very violent, and when he couldn't persuade the other citizens of Appleton to his agitation, he ended up backing down. It was after this. I didn't go back to the protests in Appleton. Although it was considered a peaceful protest because there weren't any acts of violence, the word words of some of these people yelling were anything, anything but peaceful. 
Um, let's see. Uh, Jeff, I don't blame the defendants because they are immature, but they need to charge a learn to learn a lesson about respect for law enforcement. I'm more worried about the person that says that this is white supremacy. Makes my head explode, in your words, Jeff. And then, sort of my favorite text already of the show, Jeff, why are you calling these people losers? (laughs) Okay, well, (laughs) to me, I, I tell you, if it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's a duck. And under these circumstances, you behave like this. You threaten police officers. You do this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, you are, in my opinion, a loser. Gianni and Montello. Gianni, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yes, uh, good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, hey, listen, um, anyone that would threaten a uh, police officer, uh, a, a peace officer like this uh, should be arrested and charged. I, 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 this is absolutely ridiculous, you know, ridiculous that, that, that they would uh, threaten police officers like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they are, you know, I will hunt you and your family out of bounds, way out of bounds. And, and it, 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 it makes the whole peaceful protest look like uh, a sham right. so so they need to be removed well now thanks to and they need to be prosecuted i mean right it, it's it, i'm like one person talking hey, this is just free speech no uh, you know take take my word for it when you go up to a police officer or anyone and say i will hunt you and your families down for what you did to my people i'm worse than malcolm x i will burn it all down from top to bottom while standing in front of somebody with your fists balled and an aggressive stance you know trust me um you know, i don't care who you're talking to that's going to in most cases it's going to you know result in criminal conduct when you're a trapped a police officer in a car you're threatening to overturn that car with him in it you're trying to provoke him to get outside of his car in order to i don't know do whatever yeah you engage in that type of behavior and and you know what um you know what you're going to have consequences when you go up to another agent an officer and say all right um Take that badge off. I'll knock your blanking head even further back. I want to knock your blank out. Um, take your badge off. I'm going to break your face, etc., etc., etc. All right. Sorry. It's one thing if you want to protest. It's another thing when you decide that you are going to act that way in public. I'm glad the district attorney issued charges. The district attorney needs to continue with these charges. And if there are some people in the community that decide that, gee, this is maybe they're immature and and, and this this is going to shut them down. Well, no kidding. No kidding. You hope it shuts them down. Again, if you want to see the complaint and the whole details about this, check it out. At, follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. White supremacy in action Give me a break. And here's some free legal advice from recovering lawyer. I don't care what your race is. Don't don't try this with police officers. Nothing good is going to come of it. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Veterans Day honors the incredible sacrifices made by our brave men and women who served in the United States military. This week, we recognize all Americans who fought for us. Thank you and happy Veterans Week from all of us at News Radio 620 WTMJ and Tayback Law's Veterans Benefit Center. Okay, I, let, let me break 
this into three separate conversations. Let, let, let's start with, with masks. Now, look, I, I don't want to have a conversation right now about, you know, uh, should people wear masks or, or shouldn't people wear masks? You might remember a couple weeks ago, there was this study came out, well, came out October 23rd. It's a journal of nature medicine. And it got, this was screaming headlines all across the country, including here. And, and it said, okay, you've got these predictions that, you know, if, if Americans wore masks at higher rates, we could prevent as many as 130,000 COVID-19 fatalities by the end of February. Right? That's big numbers. If, if all you did was if, if we wore masks, we could prevent 130,000 fatalities. Well, I've got a link to this story. It's in the Wall Street Journal today. And in the headline of the story is case for mask mandate rests on bad, bad data. Okay, so if, if everybody wore masks, um, 130,000 deaths could be prevented. And the, the study assumes that if you could get eight or nine out of 10 people to wear masks, you would have these numbers, all right? It also assumes that only about one in two people were wearing masks now. So that, that's kind of the assumption. If we could move mask wearing from 50% to 85 or 90%, what we would be able to do is we'd be able to save all these lives. Okay, that's fine. There appears to be a big problem with that study, and that is that that mask data, the only one in two people wearing masks, that that comes from April when, you know, admittedly, there there wasn't as much, there, there weren't the mandatory wear mask orders that were in place. There was a lot more controversy about whether or not masks were effective, because remember, originally, like places like the World Health Organization said, no, masks don't make any difference. So it's undoubtedly true that in in April and May and and early June, you had less people wearing masks than, than, uh, I mean, later on. And so that's where that 50% number comes from. So follow me on this. They come up with a study that says, okay, we could save 130,000 people if, if more people wore masks. But, 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 the, the current mask number that they use, they assume that only about one out of two people are wearing masks. And the story that I'm looking at goes on to cite more recent research that says that actually, Mask usage right now is probably up around 80%. And, and that's maybe not in your particular town, but, but overall. Now keep in mind, most states, not all, but most states have had mandatory mask rules for the, the better part of the last several months. And there, there is, I think, a, a lot of compliance with that. I, I mentioned this yesterday on, on, on my program. All I can tell you is, is about my own life and the places that I go. And I will say this, almost everywhere I go, when we are inside, and I'm not talking about sitting at restaurants, you know, when, you, when you're being served food, but I'm talking about going into the hardware store, going into the, the grocery store, going inside into the gas station to pick up a pack of cigarettes or milk or wh- whatever you might do. I would say that at least in the circles that I run in and the places that I go to in southeastern Wisconsin, I, I got to tell you, it is unusual for me to see somebody that's in a grocery store or, you know, someplace, you know, again, a, a business, it's unusual for me to see people who's, who aren't wearing masks. Now, a lot of that's because the, the stores all have the, the mask mandates that are posted. But I think a lot of it is it's just it's something that people have voluntarily come, come around to do. 
Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I know, and you know, Governor Evers and all those elected officials, Joe Biden, everybody's talking about, well, we got to wear masks. I guess I want to challenge the basic premise, not that should people wear masks, but I want to challenge the premise of are large numbers of people really not wearing masks, particularly inside? Because I tell you, I don't I don't see that the places that I go, whether it's because people recognize it's good for them or it's because of this social contract or because people at the stores are requiring it, you know, law or not, mandate or not. Where I go, I would say the vast majority of people are already wearing masks. Not 100%, but I would say if you go into the grocery stores I go into, it is unusual to see somebody who's in there without a mask. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I guess I bring this up because moving forward, this is kind of important. Because if we're trying to figure out a way to get a handle on COVID, all right. And, and we think, well, OK, we, we need these mask mandates and that's going to dramatically reduce the numbers. Well, if large numbers of people are already wearing the masks and the numbers are still going up, maybe that tells you we, we have to focus on different things. 855-616-1620. What is your experience as you go around to places, do you notice widespread noncompliance with the mask rules? And again, I, I understand inside in bars, inside in restaurants, when I go to those places, and I don't eat inside very often, and I've only been in a bar, I think, once or twice since this whole thing happened. When I go inside to places, yeah, I, on, I, do, I, do I observe people sitting at tables not wearing masks? Yes, I, I do that. But other than that, the, the retail stores, the shops, Pretty much everywhere I go, almost everybody is wearing a mask. What is your experience? 855-616-1620. We discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. See, my only point of this isn't to argue pro or con mask. It's that I I think most people are wearing masks and still we have these numbers that are are spiking, which makes me wonder, should we be concentrating on on other stuff? And I, I say honestly... Almost everywhere I go, excepting sitting at restaurants um, where where people are eating, almost everywhere I go, anytime I go into a retail establishment or something, I if I see somebody not wearing a mask, that would be the exception to to the rule. 855-616-1620. I mean, my guess is, and again, the study that's in the Wall Street Journal says that they, they think mask usage might be as high as 80%. My, my, I don't know if it's 80%, but my guess is it's probably at least 70%. I, I think a lot more people are wearing masks than are being given credit for. All right, let's start with Stacy in Wauwatosa. Hi, Stacy. Hi. Um, I agree with you that most people are wearing masks. Um, I think it's pretty compliant that what I'm seeing at the grocery store, the Targets, the Coles, the hardware stores, I think that's all true. I think it's the places that you and I aren't going and that I know are happening. Examples are weddings. Funeral luncheons, country club events, where there's 50 to 100 people that are not wearing masks inside. Mm-hmm. Right when they're and these in, are going on all the time, and I have personal knowledge. I have people that I know are going to them. 
they are not wearing masks, and there's 100 people gathered for a wine tasting. So you think it's the, um, the sort of the super spreader events? It's not that the people aren't wearing well, masks? Well, I don't even know if it needs to be a super spreader event. I mean, you could, have, you could have 100 people at a wine tasting, and maybe, let's say, two people get it. Well, those two people go home and spread it to their family. Then they go mm-hmm. spread it to kids at school, and it just – and, yes, it could be super. I have a personal knowledge of my nephew's birthday party, eighth grade. Nobody in a mask. There's now 40 people infected. Three grades have been closed down in a school. So it's not where people are wearing masks, which I think people have gotten on board with wearing it to the grocery store, wearing it to the hardware store. It's where you're not seeing and I'm not going and you're not going where it's not. There's no compliance. Got it. Thanks for calling. Appreciate it. Maybe it is sort of a regional thing. Now, again, my if that's the case... And I mean, I, I can't tell you what's going on in, in Manitowoc or what's going on in, in Two Rivers. But at the same time, we, we are seeing a spread all across the state. And I, I would argue that the compliance, at least in southeastern Wisconsin, compliance in general is pretty large. Now, I guess if you want to talk about the wedding situation or something like that, that's kind of a different story. Jeff, it's not how many people are wearing masks. It's where people are not wearing masks that's the problem. And that makes the same point, you know, weddings and funerals and smaller sorts of gatherings. Jeff, my experience in the Milwaukee and Madison area is that most people wear masks indoors, though some not correctly, often not covering their noses. Now, that's 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 a different story. I, I don't disagree with that. I mean, I think that there's a lot of people. I'm, if you're going to go to the trouble of wearing a mask and you're going to do that, pull it up over your nose, because if you've got it down under your nose, you're, you're kind of defeating all the purpose of, of that. You might as well almost not be wearing the mask, not encouraging that. But if you're going to wear it, wear it right. Let's talk to Doug in Waukesha. Doug, you're on WTMJ. Jeff, a lot of what I see, and I do have a gripe here, too. But a lot of what I see, so we go to the grocery store. We're all masked up. Cashiers touched everything. We go to McDonald's. We go to Quick Trip, wherever we, like Quick Trip's a great example. I stopped there in the morning for a coffee and a breakfast sandwich on my way to work. When I give them money, they give it back. So if the money's got from the last person has it on it, I've got it because I've touched my breakfast sandwich wrapper. Now I'm touching my face while I'm eating. Mm-hmm. But one of the, my biggest gripes about everything is that when you go into a bathroom, and this was even before the COVID virus, and they don't have paper towels in the bathrooms anymore. They've got the hand dryer, okay. and they've got a door handle, so you have to touch it. That just, it, it freaks me out. It always has. Well, no, I thanks. So. I mean, I guess, I, and again, but that's, I mean, that. The the biggest concern about the spread of coronavirus, the biggest concern is, is the airborne spread. So that's why we're talking about the masks. I mean, I've, I was on a plane last weekend, and the first thing we did when we sat down on the seats is we pulled out the wipes, and we kind of wiped off the armrests in the back of the chair in front of you. But, I, I mean, I think it, it, the bigger concern is the mask. But what I want to talk about is th- th- this notion that there are large numbers of people that, that aren't wearing masks. And, and all I'm here to say is I don't, I just don't see that in my personal life. Now, uh, again, maybe there's a, a spot in the geography of this state where if you get above a, a certain, you know, longitude and latitude that, that nobody's wearing masks, but that, that's not the experience that I have had in the places that I go to the point that it's, it's really a rarity when I see a situation where somebody isn't wearing a mask inside 
Outdoors is a different story, but I'm talking about inside. All right, let's talk to Norbert in Oconomowoc. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Okay, my experience is if you get out of the Milwaukee or Madison area, there are more people, well, I'd say 75% of the people out of the the big cities don't wear masks. Okay, I'm sorry. What number would you guess? Tell, g- g- give me, give me the number. What would, what would your estimate be? How many? I would say seventy-five percent of the people don't wear masks. Okay. I mean, I've I've gone up uh, like central Wisconsin area. I tell you what, it's rare to see people wearing masks. Okay. All right. Walk into a uh, restaurant wherever they go. Okay. Well, I mean, thanks for well, no, see, I'm, I'm, no, I'm thanks for calling. Her, but I'm, I'm I'm exempting restaurants because I mean restaurants. You know, the restaurants. You, you're not wear, you're not going to wear a mask when you sit in and you eat. You're going to be at the table, and you know the the restaurant tours. It's their responsibility to maintain some degree of social distancing. So, I mean, if if the indication is, gee, I walked into this restaurant and people were sitting there and eating and they didn't have masks on, well, they're, they're not going to. That that's I, so. I'm except I'm exempting restaurants from th- this conversation because you. I mean. You, you don't wear masks in restaurants. And I understand some have the rules where, you know, you, you wear them till you get and sit at your table, and that, that's all fine. But if, walking into a restaurant and seeing a bunch of people eating while not wearing masks, I don't think that's indicative of people not wearing masks. Okay, what is your experience? And, again, I'm hearing from people who say, well, okay, southeastern Wisconsin is really good. Madison is really good with compliance. You you get you get to central Wisconsin. You get to Stevens Point. You know, nobody's wearing masks. Is that really the case? We continue the conversation. You really should check out this this article in the Wall Street Journal. Again, you, I've got a link to it at my Twitter account at Jeff Wagner six twenty because it, it to me it makes sense. I mean, a lot of these studies that were done, I don't think account for how many people really do wear masks. Now, I understand I'm, I'm getting anecdotal reports, and that's what I was asking for. People saying, "Well, Jeff, okay, southeastern Wisconsin, there's a lot of that, but you get into the Fox Valley or you get into some of the more rural areas, and there's 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 just no compliance." And my exam the examples are: I walk into a restaurant on Friday night. There were people that were sitting there and they didn't have masks on. Well, y- yeah, you're, you're you're not going to wear masks in a restaurant. I mean, that that's just the reality. Or it's I went to the gas station and I saw people not wearing masks. Now, I, I don't know what to make of this because, again, I, I religiously wear masks when I'm inside. I mean, that, that's kind of the default thing. But if I pull into a gas station and I pull up to the pump and I get out, I, I don't wear a mask when I'm outside at the gas station. I, I just, I just don't. I mean, typically I'm, I'm not anywhere near anybody else. I, I pay at the pump. If I went into the gas station, yeah, I, I would put it on. So when people are saying, well, we're going out to gas stations, I, I don't know if they're saying, gee, I drove by and there's people pumping gas in their car and they're not wearing masks, which is one thing versus, hey, they're, they're going into the store to pay for the gas or to buy a gallon of milk or whatever. That, of course, would, would be another one. But I, I just, again, I, I raise this because I think we need to have an honest conversation about how we deal with with coronavirus. And I think it is perfectly fair and appropriate to encourage people to wear masks, particularly indoors. To me, that that makes a lot of sense. But I I think some of these premises that we have that, gee, that the people who are getting coronavirus, you know, weren't wearing masks. I think that's not true. And I think this idea that, gee, if everybody wore masks, that this whole problem would go away. I, I don't think that's true either. I think the problem is much 
broader than that because I think a lot more people are wearing masks than get credit for. Jeff, I work in Ozaki County. Um, everybody I see is masked. I live in Sheboygan County, and once you go over the Sheboygan County line starting in Random Lake, um, a lot of people in gas stations, um, they, they just they don't wear a mask at all. All right, so I, you know, may, maybe that's the case. Maybe this is sort of a regional type of thing that's out there. But I throw this out there. I mean, notice it, exempt, and that's I think one of the interesting things. Just as you're going around, notice it. And again, let's not talk about sitting at a table in a restaurant, but you know all the other situations where you go into stores, when you go into the WalMarts, when you go into your local grocery store, when you go to your local hardware store, whatever. At least my experience is, if I see somebody not wearing a mask, that is the exception to the rule. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Just a couple more texts from all over the area. Jeff, I live in Sheboygan. And based on my experience, probably about 90% of the people are wearing masks in the stores that I go to. Jeff, I live in Stevens, I live in Stevens Point. You just mentioned them. I'm here to tell you, we are masked up. Forget the idea that central Wisconsin is non-compliant. It, it's not true. So, I mean, I guess I, I wonder this. Okay, Jeff, I just came down from Cornucopia yesterday. Everybody was wearing masks, and I stopped in Hurley, Minocqua, and Stevens Point. Signs everywhere. Felt like just like I was in southeastern Wisconsin. I would have noticed people if they were not wearing them. I mean, again, I, I, I throw this out there because... I, I, I understand. You, you, you go into a, a restaurant. And again, I keep getting texts. Hey, I was in this restaurant in Door County and there weren't anybody wearing masks. Well, okay, if, if you're in a restaurant, you're, you're going to be sitting at the table and you're not going to be wearing a mask while you're eating. So if, if that's the indicator, it's, it, it's, it's a bad indicator of whether or not there's overall mask compliance. Now, if you're going to be inside in the restaurant, hopefully you are socially distanced. The tables are, are spread apart. Um, you're not allowing you know, 15 people to congregate shoulder to shoulder at, at the bar. But if the indication well, people aren't wearing masks is because I went into a restaurant and I didn't see people wearing masks, well, you're not, you shouldn't necessarily expect to see that. The bigger question is when you go into the grocery stores, when you go into the hardware stores, you know, is that the case? And then let's be fair. So let's, let's put aside the whole mask question where I really think compliance is a lot greater then then I think some people would would think it is. I, I firmly believe that, um, especially in, in a lot of the more urban population centers. But I, I are there places you can go to and people don't wear masks for whatever. But honest to goodness, my guess is the amount of people wearing masks overall statewide, it's probably compliance is probably closer to 80 percent than it is to, to 45 percent. And I bring that up only because we still see COVID numbers spiking. So if if the numbers are going up and more people are wearing masks than we generally want to give credit for, that means there's other things that are going on. Not that you shouldn't wear a mask, but it means that there's other things going on. So um, one of the things, and a couple of people mentioned it in our last discussion, was, well, I, we had one caller who said, well, I, I went to a wedding, you know, last week or two weeks ago, and there were a 100 people that were in the room, and they were in close contact, and, and they weren't wearing masks. So that's that's, prob- that's part of the thing. It's, it's the events. 
it's not so much are you wearing a mask when you're out in public, but it's okay. Are you are you attending these different events? Are you continuing to socialize? Now, last night in his speech to the state, and I sent out a tweet about this yesterday, and you, again, you can follow me. It's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. I, I I will say this. I I do find it tiresome that the governor cannot talk about COVID-19 without whining about the Supreme Court decision last May. The, the simple fact of the matter is, if the, the governor did not have the legal authority to continue his safer-at-home order, and he needs to get over that. Now, if you want to complain about the legislature not working with him, okay, that, that's a whole different story, and that's a legitimate political thing. But it seems to me every time, well, if the Supreme Court wouldn't have shot down my, my order, we would have saved these lives, et cetera, et cetera. But, Governor, stop whining about the Supreme Court. You, you didn't have the authority under the law to do it. That, now, if you want to complain about the legislature not getting on board and giving you that authority, that's a whole different story. But it is tiresome for me to hear the governor complain that, gee, I implemented something that was unlawful, and, and how dare anybody challenge me about it. That, that I, I think, it, it's just it's very frustrating to me. And again, if you want to go after the legislature, that's fine. But you should really knock it off about the court because what you did, Governor Evers, was illegal, or at least you didn't have the legal authority authority to continue that order. That's what the Supreme Court said. So, you know, if, if you're going to be upset, pick on the people you should be upset with, which is the legislature for not coming into session and, and giving you what you think should be the authority. Okay, but beyond that, recognizing that he does not have the legal authority to implement, re-implement Safer at Home, and that's what he wants to do. The, the governor desperately wants to shut down the state again. But he recognizes he doesn't have the legal authority to do it. So you, you got the speech yesterday where he sort of reiterates what he's been saying for the last couple months. He, he's issued an executive order, but it, it doesn't have any sort of force of law. It's, it's a recommendation. All right. And it urges people to essentially go back to what was going on in March and April. It urges individuals to stay home as much as possible only go out when necessary, meaning to go to work, to pick up groceries, or to refill prescriptions. The order says that if you go out, you should avoid gatherings of any size between individuals who are not members of the same living unit or household to the extent possible. And then it goes on to talk about physical distancing and, you know, washing hands often and covering your mouth. And, of course, something that I all things I think people should agree on. And, of course, goes on to make the point that if for the love of God, if you're not feeling well, if you're sick, stay home. That, that's that that's I, I think something that everybody can agree on and get behind that if you're this idea that people it's one thing if you're asymptomatic and don't know you're sick and you go out and it turns out you have it and you pass it on that's one thing it's another thing though if you're coughing up a lung and you've got a fever and you decide that you're going to you know go to some graduation party or something that's beyond irresponsible but in any event the governor is asking people to voluntarily kind of dial back to where we were last, you know, March and, and April um, for, for the safer at home. My question is, will you do this? Will people listen? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. It's not, a, it's not a mandate. It's not an enforceable order. It's the governor essentially saying, don't go out, shelter in place, 
stay at home, only go out if you absolutely have to, don't associate with anybody outside your family unit to the extent that you can. Don't have your neighbors over for coffee. Don't have that small dinner party. Presumably, the governor's order would say, I, I don't want people going and, and sitting in restaurants at all. Now, he didn't come out and exactly say that, but that's the implication of it. Don't go out if it's not necessary. So the idea that you might go to a restaurant for a fish fry where you'd be around other people, governor doesn't want you doing that. Okay, will people comply with that? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. My answer was I was listening to this, and I, I think some of the things the governor is saying makes, makes sense. I've indicated some of those things. But if he thinks people are really going to change their behavior, I don't see that happening. What's going to happen? 855-616-1620. People are going to stop going to fish fries this weekend, stop going out to birthday dinners, not go and do casual shopping, restrict themselves to only going into the grocery stores. Are, are we going to roll back voluntarily to where we were in April? We discuss. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So Governor Evers gives a statewide address last night where he says, look, I, I, there, there's no enforceable mandate, but he says they issued this rule, which is essentially a recreation of safer at home, but now he's, he's asking people, stay home as much as possible, only go out when necessary, like to go to work, to pick up groceries, to refill prescriptions. So in other words, he's saying, don't go to restaurants, don't go to bars, don't go on, on shopping trips for unnecessary sort of stuff. Don't socialize with people outside your, your home. All right? He's asking, are people going to comply? And, and candidly, maybe it's pandemic fatigue. I don't know. I just don't see that happening. All right, let's talk to Amy in West Dallas. Amy, you're on WTMJ. Pandemic fatigue? I don't know. Amy? Amy, Amy, you got to turn down your radio. Okay, all right, sorry. we got to remind people. Got to turn down your radio, otherwise you hear yourself seven seconds later, and it makes you and me crazy. Vincent on the northwest side. Vincent, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Good morning, Jeff. Hi, Vincent. Uh, I mean, good afternoon. Uh, uh, first of all, I'd like to say hey to the vets. Oh, yeah. Hey, you deserve everything you get today, so you can go out and enjoy it. Well, don't go, uh, or, or, don't, or don't go out necessarily, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir, that's true. But, uh, no, I don't think people are going to comply. From Memorial Day to Labor Day, to Labor Day, the governor has been 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 asking, begging, almost conjoling individuals not to do, not to do the same thing he talked about last night, which I was disappointed in what he basically did last night. But anyway, he's asked people not to not to gather in crowds in large crowds. He's asked people to wear masks. He's asked asked people to do all the things he asked last night. He's asking for the last seven to eight months. And, and, and Wisconsin and Wisconsin citizens have not complied. After every holiday, we've seen a spike, and now we've got Thanksgiving and Christmas coming up. And so uh, I, I don't see I don't see uh, uh, people doing you know all of a sudden having to change their heart and and and, and changes their they're changing their behavior. When you say Wisconsinites aren't complying, what what is it that what is it that you mean? Do you think that people you know in the last segment we were talking about? mass compliance and I, I actually think more people are wearing masks than than, than maybe the conventional wisdom but w- what do you mean when you say non-compliance you mean people like going out to restaurants and things like that no i'm saying people gathering in, into crowds I don't, I don't care if they're 
they're they're from ten and up. The fact is, we just had when after the presidential election, we had, we had crowds of people out in the street. Most of them not wearing masks. We had during the election, we had crowds of individuals at rally at at, at President Trump's rallies. Most of them not wearing masks. The fact is, I, you know, I, I have my sister-in-law lives up in Peshtigo. She stopped going to to. Uh, uh, to one of the stores up there because people refused to wear masks. She started ordering her stuff for pickup. The fact is people just do not respond. I don't, I don't know how many people, we just heard that the uh, mm-hmm. Mayo Clinic is, is basically out of bed. I don't care, what, people, are people gonna have to be put on the streets and, 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 and put on the streets with this virus? I don't understand what it's gonna take for people to understand that this virus is serious and it's not planned, it's a war. Do you think we should and, shut down the we schools? Have to do the things to fight it. I I will admit one thing that I was kind of surprised at is, you know, when when the governor was speaking last night, if there was going to be some sort of shutdown, he probably does have the authority through the Department of Public Education to to shut down the schools. And he didn't. Should we be shutting down the schools? I I, I think that should be a a, a district decision. No, I, I, first of all, I think he should have a mask mandate. I think in Utah they passed a mask mandate. I think businesses outside outside of, in certain cities are just not not responding to it. We have police officers saying they're not going to follow the law and they're not going to even enforce it. You know, if if it was put into place. So no, I, I think there should be a mask mandate. I think there may be some other other issues. Things but how about this? I'm asking about the schools. Shut down the schools? No, I don't. I don't think he should shut down the schools. I think what what that needs to be a, a, a school by school decision. Okay. If they decide to, to basically shut down the schools. Okay. No, thanks again. The reason I ask is because I did think that that might be one thing. And again, I I am not trying to play a lawyer here on this. That that might be one thing that that the deep the DPI would would have the authority to do. And when I was listening to when I hear these things about okay, only going out when necessary, stay home as much as possible. I was wondering if it you know you you've got you know. Kids going to school and interacting. Kind of interesting. We're hearing, you know, Vincent was talking about the hospital stuff. Um, I've got the numbers as of November 10th, the uh, that al- the alternative care facility at State Fair Park, you know, that, that we built, the big bed thing. Um, six patients. Six patients there as of November 10th. The numbers come out every day at 2 o'clock, so it, it may go up or down, you know, 30 minutes from now. But um, as of November 10th, six patients at the alternative care facility. And I just, I bring that up. I, I'm not suggesting that some hospitals, particularly in the northern part, aren't overwhelmed. Uh, just somebody always asks me, how many people are at the thing at State Fair? Six patients as of right now. Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, good afternoon. Jeff, this is going to be tough to follow my favorite caller. Okay. I absolutely will be complying with with this. Um, I have to go on site for work for something tomorrow. And then after that, my goal is to not leave my apartment complex until what looks like will be a very abbreviated Thanksgiving. Okay. So you, I mean, do you, will you go, so you'll go to grocery stores, I presume, to get food and you'll go to like the pharmacy if you need to fill prescriptions. But otherwise, you, you stay inside. No, I'm not even doing that. I'm uh, going to do Instacart and any, uh, like, heartburn medicine or something like that I've already got. And I've got a pretty good stockpile of things that I've been sort of building up over time, too. I don't think I'm a hoarder, but I might be a borderline hoarder. How long do you – how a borderline hoarder? How how long do you think you're going to do that, Jeff? Because at my my – 
my sense is that until we get a vaccine, this is going to be sort of the new normal for at least the next month or two. Do you anticipate that, you know, Christmas, New Year, well into January, this is the lifestyle you're going to be living? Well, I, you know, I can't promise that. I, I can tell you that my record for not leaving the apartment complex is eight days straight now. Um, but I'm, I'm certainly gonna, gonna try it as hard as I can. I know I can do it, do it for uh, up until Thanksgiving. After that, you know, who knows? We'll yeah. see. But okay. if I do go out, it'll just be to, to things like, you know, groceries and beer and, and the essentials <laughs> like that. They, they, they say, well, that's, that's it. Groceries and beer. And that's the, I get it. I just, like, I mean, here, here's how I, I, I look at this. And I, I, I think part of the problem that Governor Evers has is, I think it is pandemic fatigue, and I think right or wrong, people have just tuned him out because he's he's been saying the, the same thing. Um, and, and you, and if you want to blame the legislature for this as well, that that's that's fine. That's another conversation. But we we haven't had a a pivot. You know, after the, the safer at home thing got shut down because it was illegal and didn't have the authority to do it, you know, we, we, we've been hearing the same sort of stuff over and over and over again. And, and again, we, we can debate about how much people are listening when it comes to masks. I think it might be more than than, than some people do. But at the same time, the, the other thing is, I, I, I think People would like to hear about the the other type of stuff that, that's out there. The uh, again, l- let's let's concentrate on contact tracing. Let's get the early testing so we can identify people as soon as possible and know, and then know that they have it, and then do everything we can to encourage those people to to stay home. And I understand that doesn't solve the whole problem because you've always got the issues with the the people who are asymptomatic who are going out. But I'm talking about the people that don't feel good. The people think, well, maybe I've got the flu, maybe I've got something else. And are and are wandering around in the public sort of places. That that's the type of stuff and the contact tracing and, and all that. And I was, I, I was, I was hoping to hear some substantive things about that. That I think people might really be might have been really tuned in on. Okay, this is these are some of the other things that we're going to do because we're going to try to make sure we do everything we possibly can to identify those people who have this who are sick. Let them know that they're sick and then do everything we can to encourage those people from going out. I mean, that's to me, unfortunately, it's, it's going to be isolation of the people who get sick. That's, I think, a more practical way to approach it than to tell, you know, everybody, hey, we want you to voluntarily go back to the safer at home. All right. With that backdrop, when we come back in a couple minutes, there is a really, really, really significant thing that's going to be occurring in about a week and a half that involves hundreds of thousands of Wisconsinites. The governor didn't talk about it yesterday. My question is, are you going to change your habits? We're talking about deer hunting. I will explain. We will discuss. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. an email. Jeff, I visited Milwaukee General Mitchell Airport about once a week. I see at least 50% of the people sitting in the airport not wearing masks while they are waiting to board planes. You know, I, again, I, I was at the airport we, uh, on last Thursday, and I, the, my experience wasn't that people weren't wearing masks. 
My experience was, though, that people weren't wearing masks properly. I, I can't tell you, Melissa, you're looking, I can't tell you, and I, I see people wearing masks all over. I, I don't believe that, at least around here, there is this sort of widespread non-compliance with masks. I, if I go into a grocery store and, and I see somebody not wearing a mask, that is the exception to the rule. I think people are really good about that. I, I will say, though, that I, you I see I, them around their chin, right? Well, or right, or around under, under the nose. nose. Under the nose is the thing one. that that I see a, a lot, mm-hmm. and you do kind of want to go up and say, you, you know, if if you're not wearing, you, right, you might it, as well not be wearing one. Well, well right. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like you know, it's supposed to be over, over your, your nose, nose as well. And, and I get it, and then people are kind of pulling it down because they want to breathe. But it's kind of like, look, if you're going to go to all, if you're going to go to the trouble of wearing the mask, wear the thing right. That that's I. I so, I mean, I see people doing it. And then I also see you get the weird stuff where they've got like the gator things and, <laughs> and things like, like, like that. The it's buffs, like, yeah. Right. Buffs no, it's kind of like, okay, if you're going to go to the trouble of doing this, do it, do it right. So I see, I think the, the idea that there's widespread, huge numbers of people that don't wear masks, at least around here, I don't buy that. But I, I do acknowledge that some people wear them more accurately than others. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Yeah, this is kind of interesting. It, it, the, minute, the governor of Minnesota um, announced some restrictions. Um, and, and actually, what they want to do is they're going to they're ordering bars and restaurants not to close, but to close at, at ten o'clock at night. Although takeout and delivery service can be allowed after that time, indoor capacity capped at one hundred and fifty people, and um, you know may not exceed fifty percent capacity. Um, okay, so those things. But here's the interesting thing: they in Minnesota they have apparently been much more aggressive in, in with contact tracing than we have in Wisconsin. And again, con, if contact tracing is somebody gets sick. You, you interview that person and you find out where they have been. Now, it, it's not 100% perfect because, look, I, I understand sometimes people lie or they don't cooperate or, or whatever, but most people do. And what they do is they find out where people have been and then they notify people who might have been in close contact with the person who's tested positive and they reach out and they say, hey, you, you should probably get tested. And it, it's a way of alerting people that they might have been exposed to all this. Um, but anyhow, they, they, they actually have hard numbers. At least the governor claims to have hard numbers to back up some of the things that they are, are doing. And I haven't heard any of that in in Wisconsin. And that see that was one of the frustrating things early on was because you know the the governor has this this sledgehammer and here we're going to close everything down. You know we're we're going to close down the small jewelry stores. We're going to you know the liquor store can stay open, but the jewelry store gets closed. Walmart you know gets to uh, stay open, but the luggage store gets to be closed. And and, and without uh, we're, we're going to close down the hair salons. We're going to put all those people out of out of work without any attempt to sort of find a causation. Are people who are going into the hair salons, you know, are, are they the ones, is that where it's getting spread? You know, and, and again, if it is, maybe that justifies it, but we, we didn't do that. We just had this kind of sledgehammer approach, which to me has never, ever, ever made sense, and which has caused a lot of, I think, unnecessary financial hardship to people who were, were put out of business 
even though their their business had nothing to do and would have had nothing to do with the spread of COVID. But so, but here's what the governor of Minnesota did. Okay, he came out in his order, and, and, and again, I'm going to assume these statistics are correct, but they were able to document why they're doing it. The governor says, look, he says, we believe that over 70% of coronavirus outbreaks in Minnesota from June until November have a direct link back to weddings, private social gatherings, and late nights at bars and restaurants. Okay, weddings, private social gatherings, and late nights at bars and restaurants. So that's why he says for this order they're putting into place, retailers, gyms, and schools aren't going to be affected by the new restrictions because apparently they, they say, we've got the data. We know where this is spreading. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to target our efforts at, at going after the large gatherings, the weddings, the private social gatherings, and the late nights at bars and restaurants. And I think if you sell something like that, if, if, People could understand it and hear, yeah, okay, well, that, that makes sense. Instead of just saying, okay, stay at home and, and don't go out, you know, don't, don't go get your hair cut. I got my hair cut this morning. Okay, I, I feel, you know, everybody wears masks. They sanitize, you know, after everybody, you know, after every client comes in. They've been open since May, I think, and, you know, there, there's been no evidence of any sort of COVID cases traced back to the place that I get my hair cut at. Why in the world should you tell me don't go get a haircut again? I, it just doesn't make any sense there unless you've got evidence tracing it back to that. Okay, so what they do is, is they even have more data that's out there. They say that, um, let me see, um, he said they've got the, they've got findings that suggests that there is a doubling of infections in bars after 9 o'clock at night as alcohol lowers inhibitions, louder talking, no social distancing, etc. So that's why they're saying, look, we're, we're going to impose a 10 o'clock order on, you know, restaurants have to close by 10 o'clock, bars have to close by 10 o'clock because we find the lighter people are out, the more they drink, and then these things break down. You, you, you make that argument. And it, to me, it makes sense. It, it's easy to sell to people. Yeah, this is why we're doing it, because we've looked at this and we recognize that the luggage store and the dog groomer and the hardware store, that's not the problem. We know where the problem is. The problem is restaurants after 10 o'clock at night and weddings and large social, social gatherings. And that's where we're concentrating the resources. And I guess it is disappointing to me that you have the governor of the state of Wisconsin who, who's singing the same song he's been singing since, uh, again, March and, and April and talking about the same things without thinking maybe we have to pivot a little bit. You know, maybe we need to to change up our approach to this and without having the statistical evidence to back it up. If in Minnesota, and assuming they're just not making this up, they know where 70% of the cases are coming from, is it too much to expect that people in Wisconsin would know that? And and then you'll be able to present it, and then we say, yeah, okay, we we don't have to worry about not going to get our hair cut. That, that's not the problem, going to get the hair cut. We, we do need to say, okay, maybe we need to figure out what's going on in bars after 10, 30, or 11. And I have no, I have no idea of that because my days of being in bars after 10 o'clock at night are long, long gone. All right, let us switch gears. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here is the deal. A week from Saturday, November 21st, what happens is the gun deer season starts. What that means is approximately 600 plus thousand people in a normal year will 
go to the North Woods. Well, they go all over. I understand you can have some deer hunting down here, but lots of people will pile in the family truckster and they will head up to the North Woods. They will stay at hotels. They will stay at motels. They will stay in deer camps, etc. They will go hang out in bars, you know, while the deer hunting season is going on. And they will essentially, you know, make the tourist season for a lot of small communities. Governor Evers is encouraging people well, not to go out, um, only limit gatherings to your household, um, stay home as much as possible, only go out if you need groceries, if you need medicine and things of that sort. All right, my question is, if you were planning, if you were one of the 650,000 people who were planning to go deer hunting, are you going to change your plans? And I guess in particular, I'm, ta- I'm not talking about Okay, my my um, you know my, my my dear friends Jim and Nancy who live in Seymour, Wisconsin, who have several acres of land behind their house, and you know Jim will go up in his his deer stand, you know during hunting season on his property. I'm not talking about that. You know what I mean? I mean the folks that are going to load up the car, head up with the buddy, you know, with extended family or your buddies or whatever for the deer camp, stay at the hotels. Are you going to change your plans? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Because of COVID, we discuss in a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, Deer Hunters of Wisconsin. The gun deer season starts a week from Saturday. This is an event where, I mean, in in the run-up to deer hunting, it is not uncommon for families to take the kids out of school, get an early start on it, so people are in the woods early Saturday morning when the hunting season starts. All right, we've got the governor saying stay home. You know, don't. Don't don't make unnecessary trips, etc. So, what is the effect on this going to be on deer hunting? Are you planning to change the way you would handle things? And again, I'm talking about people who would would travel. Not if if you've got 20 acres in your backyard and you're going to still go out and you're going to hunt there. I get that, but I'm talking about you know here we're going to get the three or four families together. I'm going to get the guys together. We're heading up to the deer camp. Um, we're going to hit the bars in you know whatever town we're going to be in. You're going to change your plans. Let's start with uh, Brian in Elkhart Lake. Brian, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. First time caller, long time listener. Thanks for calling. Uh, yeah, it's uh, two families of ours. We have 40 acres up by Florence County, and it'll be me and my two sons who are in their 20s, and then four brothers, and they're all between the ages of 53 and 60. And we've been going to a shack for years and years, and we're not changing one single thing. And we even go to a supper club when we're up there, and nobody wears masks, and neither does the waiters. And we just go about business as usual. Life is way too short to take a year off, in my opinion. Well, I was going to ask you, I mean, are, are you worried that you you might get sick or that, you know, some of the people around you might get sick? I, I figure at some point I'm going to get this thing, but if I do, I do. I'll take my chances with my recovery. I'm 52, I'm in good shape, and I'm really not worried about it. Got it. Thanks for call. Appreciate it. Uh, let's see, Jeff. Barron County just told hunters not to come there. Um, huh, interesting. Boy, and of course, you got to understand, too, from the tourism perspective, there are all sorts of communities all throughout Wisconsin, particularly in the northern part of, of the state, that this is... They, they, they depend. I mean, the, the week of deer hunting, the 10 days or 11 days or whatever it is of deer, is it nine days this year? Whatever it is, that's that's where 
that's the make or break thing for a lot of communities. And if people stay home and don't go and don't go to the motels and don't go patronize the restaurants and things like that, it's economically devastating. Uh, Jeff, I wish all the money I've lost due to the virus. I need the venison in my freezer now more than ever. Um, let's see. Uh, Jeff, Our large extended family always gathers at the Up North Cabin on opening weekend, usually around 60 people for Saturday dinner. We have canceled that all. Nobody going uh, this year. Um, Jeff, we won't change anything. We are going deer hunting. Jeff, um, we're already accommodating the virus. Instead of 10 guys in a cabin, we've got two campers, so we will split up between the three places and do most of the things outside. Uh, Jeff, no, we're not going to change anything. We're heading up to Crandon next Thursday, meet up with everyone and get some beers just like every year. Um, hmm. uh, see, Jeff, um, you know, to see, here, here's the idea. And one of the things, again, it just it strikes me when I was listening to the governor speak, I, I, I was I was interested that, number one, we talked about this earlier, he didn't mention schools. Um, and number two, he, he didn't mention deer hunting, you know, which you would you would think if you were encouraging people, you, you would address it at least directly. And there, there was no sort of reference to that at all. I, I know we, we've, we've talked about holidays and getting together for Thanksgiving and stuff, but it was interesting because you, you've got you've got this conundrum because, you know, with the state of Wisconsin runs in part on tourism. And I was wondering if the governor would actually come out and say, don't go deer hunting, which is you read between the lines, and that's what he's urging people to do. But I, I don't know if it was an act of political cowardice or whatever that he didn't address deer hunting. Jesse in Oconomowoc. Jesse, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Um, Hi, Jesse. Yeah, deer, deer gun season. I'm for sure going up. Uh, we take my family and a few friends. Uh, and another wrinkle to that is I – I'm an archer, so I've been archery season hunting since September. We all were already exposed to COVID, positive tests, everything. And towards even the end of my quarantine, the health department was asking me, I told them, (laughs) I'm going to go out archery hunting. Right. Well, you still have to be in quarantine. I'm like, it's A, it's two days, and B, it's right up the road. I'm contacting nobody. I'm going to be in a tree 16 feet. Right. A deer and a squirrel aren't getting COVID. And it kind of clicked with her. She, she was right. like, yeah, just do what you got to do. Right. You but, know? But, of course, yeah, but of course, that's different than, than driving 100 miles or 150 miles and going to a deer right. camp and being in the cabin with 15 other guys and stuff. But yeah, yeah. in your case, your case, your, your quarantine, you were kind of quarantining outside, but you were, you know, you were, you were by yourself. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, that, absolutely. no, I understand. I mean, thanks for calling. I think that's, um, you know, I think that's how this, you know, goes. Um, l- let's see. Jeff, it's interesting you got through with some segment saying that you think people are complying and wearing masks. And then in the next breath, everyone says we're all going to do our usual hunting routine business as usual. Well, that's see, that's the interesting issue that's here to me. It's the deer hunting is is sort of like a religion around here and it's something that families build their their time around and so to me in one respect it's, it's one thing to say okay we, we think you should limit your thanksgiving the size of your thanksgiving gathering that's you know that that's i think more doable but if you are a gun deer hunter and this is where you base your year on and the fact that you've got the, the state tourism industry and the livelihoods of all these places that depend on it i guess the question becomes you know will 
do people believe that there is enough of a risk to to, to stop them from doing the, the deer hunting thing? And my guess is the vast majority of people are, are going to continue and do things just exactly like they otherwise, you know, would do. Now, ultimately, you know, we'll know because we're going to get the numbers. But my guess is most people are going to go out. And they're going to continue to hunt because they're going to be willing to take the risk. Is is that an unreasonable thing? I, I guess time will end up telling. But um, I, I I would be surprised if there's a huge drop-off in the gun deer season. And I'm also surprised that the governor didn't address it in his speech last night. Back with more in just a couple minutes. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Melissa, do you know who Tony La Russa is? Is he a baseball player? Well, back in the, in the day. Yeah, he, well, that actually, you know, ding, ding, ding. I'm ding. going to give you credit. Thank He's, you. He, he was a baseball. See, that, that's the ga- ongoing game we play with Melissa. It's kind of <laughs> like, she's like, well, you know, we've, we've been talking for the last eight or nine minutes. And then, you know, the, the, the microphones go on. And then you ask me these like questions. like the surprise. Yeah, exactly. Well, that, that's part of the thrill of live radio. Well, here, here's the deal. Tony LaRusso. Was a ball player, but he's probably he's more famous for the fact that he was a manager for for years and years. Managed long-standing manager of the St. Louis Cardinals, mm-hmm. and of course the Cardinals were a big rival of the Brewers. And Tony Larusa, that this might be an unkind thing to say because I, I don't know him personally, but my sense always was that um, he was just a big old jerk, <laughs> just just a, a just a big old. Jerk. Now, at, there, there might be people that say, oh, this is the most wonderful guy in the world, but I'm just saying from afar, my sense always mm-hmm. was that he was a jerk. Well, he, he last managed the, uh, he last managed uh, the St. Louis Cardinals in, in 2007. And so he, he hasn't been an active manager for most well, since 2007. The Chicago White Sox announced that they were going to they were going to hire him late october they announced that he was they were going to hire him as the manager now what got people i guess raised some eyebrows is the fact that he's 76 years old and he hasn't managed for 13 or 14 years now i, I don't mean to be ageist about this he but he might it's be kind, a little rusty well not only that but there's you know players change you know players change. it's it's tough to have second and third acts because what happens is the type of players that you're used to dealing with in 2007 and and their expectations are probably different than in 2020. You know, it, it, that's just what, yeah. what happens. You know, there's there's kind sense. of a shelf life. So it was, I, I mean, I read the Chicago papers, and when they reached out to Tony La Russa, it was a controversial hiring because of that. It's become more controversial because it turns out the day before La Russa was hired, he was charged with drunk driving. Now, in, in the drunk driving, it apparently occurred a few months, or actually, it occurred in February. Um, he and this this is not the first. He, he got nailed for drunk driving before with St. Louis when he was a manager of St. Louis. But what happened was apparently he was pulled over February twenty fourth when his SUV hit a curb near the Phoenix Sky Harbor International Airport. So that's a big Phoenix airport. He was taken into custody after filing a field sobriety test he refused to submit to a breath blood or urine test according to the affidavit so okay th- this is the guy that chicago is tabbing to you know be their manager gets nailed for drunk driving and he's now been charged with um blood alcohol level of of more than 0.08 i don't know what it was but but it was more than 0.8 and he refused the test so that's it okay so it gets better 
it, <clears throat> it gets better. Apparently, this is the story. So after they pull over Larusa because he's he's driven his car up on a curb and apparently like burst the tire or something like that. Apparently, here the police report is is now you know um, coming out. He says that um, according to an affidavit, he ran his car into a curb near the airport. He told a responding officer he had been dinner at dinner with friends and he hit something and had his tire blow out. So he had driven into the curb. The officer has detected alcohol on his breath, described Larusa as argumentative. Okay, so this is like free legal advice from a recovering lawyer here. If you've been boozing it up and you drive your car over a curb, don't argue. Right, right. Being <laughs> argumentative is not going to convince you, but it, but it gets better. Apparently, in the discussion, Larusa says to the officer, he says. He's apparently got his world his his world series his world championship ring on. Uh-huh. He says, "Do you see my ring? Oh, he went there. I'm a Hall of Famer baseball person. I'm legit. I'm a Hall of Famer, brother. You're trying to embarrass me. <laughs> you know, when you have to go to, do you know who I am? Or right. do you know that, right. that's Here's a bad my, sign? Look at my Look ring. At I'm my a, ring. Hey, hey, brother, you're trying to embarrass me. <laughs> oh, you know, that's not good. No, no right. It, it's exactly. It's actually one of the free agent pitchers that they quote in the story. This kind of says it just keeps getting worse. You know, I mean, it, it's it's just yeah. You know, it, look, and I mean, I understand. I'm not defending that. that. That kind of stuff can happen. I don't know how drunk he was, and you know, I don't know what the blood alcohol levels were. But it is. You've driven your car up on a curb. You know, the police officer shows up arguing with him. Do you know who I am? Look at my br- ring. You're trying to embarrass me, brother. I'm a Hall of Famer. That's not going to make stuff better. It's just not. No, I've never had to use that line, Jeff. That you're a Hall of Famer? No, that I've, uh, do you know who I am? <laughs> well, I, if, if, well, hopefully you'll never have well, it. I know, but, I don't think I'll but have you, to. But you just feel free to drop. You know, you can say, I, I'm, Jeff Wagner says I'm a Hall of Famer. You oh, know, because yeah. I, I think you're a, you're a Hall of Famer that in my mind. That might work, I don't know. Absolutely. All right, Tony, Tony LaRussa <laughs> back in the news in Chicago. Apparently they, and again, they hired him in October. He, he, this happened in February. My guess is his attorneys were trying to get him out of it, and they ultimately weren't able to do it, so they issued the charges, and then Chicago hires him the next day. That's not the way you want to start a new gig. I'm just saying it's not yeah, not the way you want to start a new gig. <sighs> Tony LaRussa, back in the news. All right, when we come back, I want to talk about virtual learning, but not from the perspective of the kids. It'll be interesting. I guarantee it. Stick around. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, because of COVID-19, more and more schools are are being forced to go to the quote-unquote virtual learning. Now, in some cases, like the Milwaukee Public School System, they never tried to open up. Uh, in other cases, the schools opened up. And then they had to close because there were COVID outbreaks. And in some cases, they reopened. In other cases, they didn't. But everybody's wrestling with this. And as we've talked about on multiple occasions, I think everybody agrees that for the kids, in for most kids, maybe not all, but most kids, virtual learning is is a poor substitute for the in-person learning. And that, that's, that's not a criticism of anybody. It's not a criticism of teachers, the kids or whatever. It's just... Kids need socialization, you know, that the teachers in the classroom where they can interact with the kids. It's just, you know, having some kid in a room looking at a computer screen, it's, it's a poor alternative. Um, we can argue about how poor an alternative is, but I think most of us would agree it just does not work as well. And for some types of kids, like the special needs students, it, it probably doesn't work at all. But 
There's another factor that that goes along with it, and this is something that doesn't get discussed enough, and that is the impact that virtual learning has on mom and dad. Now, there's, I mean, first of all, in the most superficial, there's there's just the the whole child care thing. You know, and and again, I I know we're in a situation where lots of people, you know, you have parents, you know, both both spouses, mom and dad, work outside the home, and and that's and and, you know, so the the idea is we get the kids off to school, you know, we go to work, you know, we make arrangements to to have them picked up after school, or depending on their age, they can come home, they can be alone for a couple hours, but you don't necessarily feel comfortable leaving them home the the entire day, so somebody's got to be home with the kids. That's number one. Number two. Um, in addition to the child care issues, you've got, you know, mom or dad, whoever it is that's staying home, you know, they're, they're trying to figure out how they can do their job. Now, in some cases, they're allowed to work from home. You know, they're allowed to do the remote work. In other cases, that, that doesn't work. But even if they're allowed to do remote work from home, what happens is, they're trying to work, mom or dad, and at the same time, you're also trying to keep an eye on Junior to make sure that Junior's really, you know, participating in the virtual learning as opposed to, I don't know, playing the video game on on his computer. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I want to talk to moms and dads. How difficult... Has the virtual learning been on on you? And I mean, it seems to me it has to be just incredibly disruptive because even if you are, even if you don't work outside the home, you know, you, you still have your routine. You, there's all sorts of stuff that you do in the home. And now you've obviously got to be spending some time making sure that the kids are doing their lessons and making sure that the kids are comprehending their lessons and that there's not playing video games. I, I got to thinking about this because story in the Washington Post today, the headline is virtual schooling has largely forced moms, not dads, to quit work. It will hurt the economy for years. And the, the the point of the story is that you've got lots of parents, primarily, as it turns out, women, who've ended up having to quit their jobs, drop out of the workforce because they've got to take up the child care responsibilities because they've got to be home when, you know, the kids are, are home because they don't have school to go to anymore. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Moms and Dads. How difficult has the work, has the virtual learning been? And is that, see, I think that there's something to this. I think that's one of the real untold and unappreciated stories of, of COVID-19 was the fact that, you know, you close the schools for a, a year. You close the schools for a year and a half or whatever. And I'm not criticizing the decision to close them, but it's, what, what do you do with the kids to make sure that they're learning? And what do mom and dad do? What, do you put your career on hold? You know, how do you make it work? Is is it a workable sort of situation? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. See, I just think this is one of the undiscussed stories: the effect that virtual learning is having not on the kids but on on the parents. 
whether it's, you know, do you have to put somebody, one spouse's career on hold so that you you can be there when the kids are learning? And again, it, it's just, it, it is what it is. Jeff, we have the fastest internet available and we still have major issues with three kids on Zoom and dad trying to work from home. Never had this many tears and swear words in our home. It absolutely sucks. 855-616-1620. Carrie in West Dallas. Carrie, good afternoon. Hi. Hi, Carrie. I was just calling. I have a high schooler, and he's doing virtual learning. And we have cameras in our house, and we have to peek in on him to make sure he's not sleeping on the couch. And I'm grateful that he's able to stay home, but I don't know how people with younger kids can do it. Now, do you work outside the home, Carrie? Yeah, me and my husband both do. Okay, so you're and and so you're. It's, he's a high schooler, so you can leave him home. Um, so you yeah. know, so you don't have that. But but at the same time, and I say this with with I'm smiling, but you don't trust him at home by himself. <laughs> no, no, because he's you know in his pajamas. It's comfortable. It's nice. You know, we're not there to be loud and make sure he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. Right, right. And it's really rough. Well, it is. And, and my guess is, I mean, the, the, the other alternative is for either you or your husband to quit your jobs and stay home. But that's probably not an alternative either, is it? Yeah, no, that's not doable at all. <laughs> Uh, now, thanks for the call. Appreciate. It. Well, and again, that's at least in in your case, Carrie. You've got you've got the high school kid that's at home. For for the younger kids, it, it's got to be just an ongoing you know nightmare for for parents to try to balance this. And even if you're in a situation where if you work outside the home, your your employer lets you work remotely, it, it's still. Okay, you know, you've got your meetings or your sales calls or whatever, and you've got the, you know, the kid down the hall, and you're trying to make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to do. Let's talk to Robert in Pewaukee. Hi, Robert. How are you doing this morning or afternoon, actually? Hello. Um, I've got two daughters. They're both in high school. One's a senior, one's a sophomore. My daughter, who's a senior, she's doing fine with this online virtual learning. My sophomore, She's having absolute struggles, and the thing is, is she's trying to get a hold of the teacher after their Zoom meetings or which, however they're doing this right. to ask questions, and she is just falling behind. And it's it's worrisome because I'm a divorced father now. You know, both my ex and I, we both work full-time. Right. We're not home. So we come home, and we're trying to help them with their homework, which has gotten a lot more complicated than it was when we were in the high school, Lord knows. Sure. Sure. No, I, I understand. Thank, plus, you know, you've got plus you, you've, you've got your own issues that you're, you're you're dealing with. I mean, OK, it's like, all right, we're presumably we're sharing custody of the kids and, you know, but we, we can't be there to watch what they're doing and you want to help them out. But but yeah, Jeff, my 16 year old usually got A's and B's is now pulling a C or a D. Frankly, she's struggling. She's been virtual from the beginning. We have to monitor her every move um yeah that that's it jeff virtual learning is also impacting college parents as well if mom and dad are not versed in the college curriculum you flat out can't help professors are just about impossible to get a hold of um jeff our kids are back in school five days a week we attend a local catholic school but with contact tracing have had to quarantine at various times since school started when the entire class has been quarantined all goes well teacher seems to work better less disruptions focus is very centered however when the class is in the building and only a few kids are virtual either by choice suddenly because of contact tracing i definitely see a a difference 
Um, yeah, let's talk to uh, Jennifer in Wauwatosa. Jennifer, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Okay, how much of a problem is this for parents? Um, we have a little bit of a unique situation because we have a K-4 kid who is starting his entire career um, hybrid. So this is all he's going to ever know so far for school. And then we have a first grader who has some special needs. So we've been learning how to support her at home that way and right. going and she thrives on a schedule, so right. this has been tricky for her. But on the other hand, I just would like to give a huge shout-out to her teachers because they have been amazing mm-hmm. to help support us at home. Yeah, you know, my um, I, I've said this before. My my son-in-law, Chris, is a is a special education teacher, and, you know, he, his frustration has been, it's if you do that type of work, you it's really difficult to do it virtually. It's just, you know, virtual is tough in general, but for special needs kids in particular, it's, it's very difficult. And, you know, he, he's been talking a lot about all the, just the things that you have to go through to try to keep it as close to normal as possible for exactly the reason you're saying that, you know, you, you need a schedule. You need kind of that hands-on type of stuff. Yeah, and plus my husband is an MPS teacher, so he's been teaching from our basement while I've been doing all the virtual okay. stairs, and it's, there's a, a lot of learning going on everywhere in our house. <laughs> now, do you typically work outside the home or no? I um, work part-time, but um, our hours have been really cut, uh, so it, it just kind of worked out for right. us. Right, right. Can you imagine for the can you imagine situations for the parents who both both spouses work outside the home, you know, how, trying to manage trying to manage, you know, virtual learning when all that other stuff would be going on? We have um actually some of the other kids in my daughter's class, they have tag teamed. So for families who do have both parents working outside of the home, they have kind of paired up with one other family who's kind of in their bubble, right. so to speak, and then they've tag-teamed, and I don't think they would have been able to do it otherwise. Yeah, interesting. Hey, thanks for the perspective. Hang with it. Just, again, th- th- these are the stories, and... These are the stories I don't think are getting told. I don't, I don't have an answer for it. I mean, I, I understand if you've got a COVID outbreak at a school that you, you, you can't continue to do it. You have to do the virtual thing. I, I applaud the schools for trying to stay open and, and opening as soon as they think it's safe. But, I mean, I also understand the reality. And, again, I think one of the untold stories is how what a strain this puts on on parents trying to make sure the kids are learning and at the same time deal with all the other things you've got going on in your life, starting with making a living. When we come back, we're going to find out what John and Melissa have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.